Going to begin reading there in verse 5 of Acts chapter 16. It says this, And so the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in number daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the next following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city in the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in the city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had, got, who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. May God bless the reading of his word today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you today that you desire to speak to us. And Lord, I pray today as we talk about knowing and understanding your will, Lord God, I pray, Lord, that we would see very clearly in Scripture how you direct us and how you lead us. We thank you today for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for that comforter, but also that guide, Lord God. And so as we open your word, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do what only you can do. We don't want to leave here the same way. But we pray you'd do something in this moment that would mark us, that would change us for eternity. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be, you may be seated. Praise God. Well, we're continuing our journey in the book of Acts today. Um, you know, we started in January in Acts chapter 1, and here we are in the fall. I know it's been a, a slow, steady journey as we've looked together at the beginning of the church, um, but as we get into the second half of this book, I got to tell you, hold on to your hats because things are going to move a little bit faster. We're now following the activity of one of the busiest guys in the whole New Testament, the Apostle Paul. If you remember last week, we talked about how Paul and Barnabas had kind of parted ways. Barnabas took John Mark with him. He goes one direction. Paul takes Silas with him. He goes another direction. And, and both of these teams are going back to churches that they had established. They're encouraging the churches. They're strengthening the churches. And of course, we see the result of that in verse 5 is that the churches are strengthened in the faith and they increase in number. Now, I want you to rem remember today as we talk about the Apostle Paul that he was a Jewish Pharisee who was converted to Christianity. He was a highly intelligent scholar of, of the Jewish law. He was born a Roman citizen in Tarsus. And scripture tells us that he studied at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the great rabbis of his time. But for all that, that Paul could boast and understand, he never boasted in any of those things. Those were not his credentials. I want you to see his credentials. They're in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Listen to these credentials. He says this, I've had far greater labors 
I've had far more imprisonments. I've met with countless beatings and often near death. He says, five times I received at the hand of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. We saw that already, right? Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles. Everywhere he goes, there's danger, right? Danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and a hardship through many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from these things, there is the daily pressure on me of the anxiety of all the churches. He says, on top of all this, I'm worried about these churches and the people in the churches. But I want you to understand, in the midst of all that happened in Paul's life, here's what we know. He was found to be walking in the will of God. He was led by the Holy Spirit. And I got to say, as we talk about the will of God a little bit today, I think, sadly, too many believers think that the will of God is simply the path of least resistance. Like, whatever is easiest, well, that must be God's will. But that was not true for Paul. Paul thought much differently. He knew that God's will would sometimes take him into the most difficult of places. And so even as we read here today, he's traveling, and, and, they, and they go and they, they strengthen these churches, and Paul decides after that, well, we're going to go southwest. We're going to head towards this very important city of Ephesus. That was his plan. If there's a city that needs Jesus, well, it's certainly Ephesus. But the scripture tells us that he's forbidden by the Holy Spirit to go there. Now, eventually, Paul will get to Ephesus. There's going to be a church that's planted in Ephesus. We, we know that. We have the book of Ephesians, right? But at this point, the Holy Spirit actually forbid Paul from doing something that we would normally think of as a good thing, right? Preaching God's word to those who need to hear it. But if we truly believe that the Holy Spirit is directing Paul, then we have to say, well, it just wasn't the right time for him to bring the gospel to Asia Minor. Now, let me be clear, there's nothing wrong with Paul's desire to preach the gospel in Asia Minor. It's just not God's timing, and so he's forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Now, we don't know how exactly the Holy Spirit said no. It might have been a, a word of prophecy that he received. It might have just been discernment of the Holy Spirit, or it might have been the circumstances along the way. But one way or another, this team got the message, and so Ephesus is going to have to wait till later. They try to go, so they're trying to go southwest. The Holy Spirit doesn't allow them to go that direction. And so then they think, well, we're going to go north. We'll go to Bithynia. But again, they're prevented from doing so by the Holy Spirit. And so instead, they come down to Troas. And when Paul gets to Troas, understand, this was not where he intended to go, but it's where the Holy Spirit led him. You ever been there before? That's not where I intended to go, but somehow the Holy Spirit got me here. And so again, we see him responding to the Holy Spirit. He's, he's laying down his own plans and he's trusting the Holy Spirit to lead him. And in this circumstance, Paul is guided by hindrance. And here's what you'll find out about the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. Often he guides us just as much by closing doors as he does by opening doors, right? There are a few things we can observe in this passage about the will of God. I want you to write these down. I want you to make this, this first one very personal. Write it down, take it down on your phone, however you gotta do it, all right? Mark this down. I want you to write this. God has a plan for my life. God has a plan for my life. Would you agree with me today that Paul was a success in the kingdom of God? How many would say he was, right? I mean, of course, yeah, this is Paul. I mean, he, he wrote so much of the New Testament, right? 
But the success that he experienced, it was not the result of his schooling. It was not the result of him just catching the right breaks. His success in the kingdom was a direct result of him being in the will of God. And I know this today, that God has a place where you can be your best for him. But every day, you and I are faced with a decision. And it's either to pursue our own plans and goals and hope that along the way, maybe we make an impact in the kingdom, or to find God's will for our lives and be your best for him. God's will for Paul was for he and Silas to go to Macedonia. And uh, it's this uh, land lying geographically be between the the Balkan Highlands and the Greek Peninsula. It was both a Greek kingdom and a Roman province. And God chose in this case to direct Paul and Silas to Macedonia by the use of a vision. Now, it's important for you to know that this is not the only way in which God directs us, but it's, it's one of the ways that God can direct us. God's plan and design for Paul and Silas to to minister to those he had prepared the gospel, he prepared them for the gospel. And so we find in this passage a very important reason for seeking to do the will of God, and it's this. God sees all things, and we don't. Right? We see our yesterdays, God sees our tomorrows. We we, uh, can observe what goes on in the natural realm, but God sees things in the spiritual realm. We see through a glass dimly, but God sees clearly and God knows. Listen, when we talk about the work of evangelism, I believe God knows where the harvest is, right? So we should say, God, lead me to the harvest. Who is it that you're working on? Where has the soil been prepared and and you want me to speak, right? And, And so in this case, God has already worked. He's prepared the soil and now the only thing left is the harvesting. And that's why Jesus stated in Matthew 9, 38, Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Whose harvest? It's his harvest, right? And so God has apparently prepared the harvest in Macedonia, and now he's going to send his laborers, Paul and Silas, into that harvest field. They're hindered from going into another region because that field was not ready for harvest. But Paul understood the importance of being in the will of God. And he knew this, man, if I'm operating outside of the will of God, if I'm just going about my life in my own flesh, it's kind of like beating at the air. That's what he said. It's like shadow boxing. I'm having no effect, right? And, and you may ask today, well, pastor, does God really have a will and a plan and a purpose for my life? I would say absolutely. Absolutely. I, I feel it's, it, it's wrong that we sometimes think it's only those in ministry that need to find the will of God or discover the will of God. Listen, we are all in the ministry. We are all called to serve. But here's what you need to know about God's will. God's will is not always easy to discern. His will is not always easy to discern. Let me put it another way. God's will can sometimes take us down the long road. God's will is not always the the shortest distance between two points. Now, notice with me this morning that God's will for Paul and Silas as they departed Antioch was that they would travel to Macedonia, right? But this will wasn't clear to them, what we see it in verse 7. It says, when they came to Mysia, they were trying to go to Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And, and finally, they end up in Troas, and Paul's thinking, man, what does God want me to do? Now, freeze frame for just a moment, and imagine you were there. You're there in Troas and you're walking along and you happen to come upon the apostle Paul and you say, Paul, well, where are you going? He said, I don't know. 
Well, Paul, where, where's the Lord leading you, right? He would say, I have no idea. I, I, I don't have any clue what God is saying right now to go, where to go. Now, I bring that up because I've had people ask me that question at different points in my life, and I gotta be honest, I don't always have an answer, right? You ever been there? Someone's like, what's God saying in your life lately? And they expect some profound answer. They don't expect, I don't know. But, but there are seasons like this season for Paul where people ask me and I'm just like, I, I got nothing, right? So Paul's like, I, I got nothing, right? That's what he would have said. He didn't know. All Paul could tell you is that every place he, he tried to go, the door closed. And Paul's learning a very important lesson. I wonder if you've learned this lesson, that God's no is just as important as God's go. God's no is just as important as God's go. Closed doors are one of the ways that God leads us. But sometimes we get stuck and we ask, well, why isn't God opening that door? Maybe it's because he doesn't want you to go there. But there in Troas, finally, Paul gets a vision. It's very clear of a man from Macedonia. But understand, in order to get that vision, he had to travel 600 miles. (laughs) Before God's will became clear to him, he had to step out and and move in what he knew God was calling him to do. And I gotta say this, that, that God's leading in our lives is so wonderful. Psalm 37 tells us the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his ways. Did you get that? The steps of a righteous man. In other words, every single step that a person makes in the Lord, the Lord directs those steps. The steps of a righteous man or ordered by the Lord. But here's another truth. The stops of a righteous man are also ordered by the Lord. And so God's no in your life, hear me, is just as important as God's go. And, and so Paul stopped. He, he doesn't know what to do. No word, no revelation from God, doesn't know where to go. And now God's going to reveal very dramatically through a vision where he's gonna go. But I want you to notice something. With this lack of specific direction from the Lord, Paul and Silas, they don't just sit on their hands and say, well, we're just gonna wait, right? They act upon his general direction, right? They they, they don't just stop because they don't have all the specifics. They move on what they know God has called them to do. Now, let me explain this a little more clearly because you could ask this, is there evidence that Paul and Silas had received a mandate from God to depart on this second missionary journey? Well, if so, we don't read about it. We just read in Acts 15 that they say, well, let's return. Let's, let's visit the brethren in the cities. Let's proclaim the word of the Lord. Let's, let's just go see how they're doing, right? And so Paul and Silas set out on this missionary journey without a specific direction from the Lord. They acted rather upon his general guidance. And this is such an important point when we talk about the will of God. Because there are those that would like to tell you that the will of God will always be crystal clear to you. Like you'll see exactly what he wants you to do before you move. But those who say that, I would say, are not well versed in scripture. Because the clear teaching of scripture is this, we walk by faith and not by sight, right? And and I say all that to say that it is possible for a person to be in the divine will of God without even knowing it. Some of you are there right now, today, simply because you're responding already to what you do know he's calling you to do. Now let me take you to a passage in Matthew chapter 11 to illustrate the point. Matthew 11 verse one. It says, when Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John, this is John the Baptist, heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, 
are you the one who is to come or should we look for another? This is John the Baptist. He's asking, are you the one? Are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Now, I don't know what you think about John the Baptist, but I know what what Jesus thought about him. He said this, among those born of women, there's arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. This is the one and only John the Baptist, the one who prepares the way of the Lord, the one who baptized Jesus in the Jordan River, and now sometime later, he's in Herod's prison. He's about to lose his head, literally, and so he begins to ask. He begins to evaluate his life. Say, man, have I, have I spent my life in vain? Like, is Jesus, is he really the Messiah? Well, of course, we know that. Jesus was the Messiah. And even though at that point, John was not aware of it, understand he was right in the center of God's will for his life. Now, stay with me. Don't miss this important point. Let me tie this together. Because if we go back to our story with Paul and Silas, I, I ask the question, Did they begin their missionary journey by a specific mandate of God? And the answer is we have no evidence of that. Now, am I saying they were outside of the will of God? Absolutely not. I believe they were in his perfect will. You see, with the absence of God's specific direction, they lived their lives based on his general direction. Let me explain it. The general direction of God is that will that we know by general revelation, right? And today, We, all of us, if we're in the word of God, know so much about his will for our lives, right? The general will of God, we can know it by reading his word. And so Paul and Silas operated on the the general direction of Jesus when he said, go therefore, right? They didn't have to ask if they needed to go. They already got the command. They're responding to that command. Listen, there are those who excuse their inactivity from God by saying, well, I haven't heard from God. He hasn't told me his will for my life, but if you look at the example of Paul and Silas, it was God's ultimate will. It was his plan to get them to Macedonia, but his will did not take them on the most direct route. It was anything but a straight line from Antioch to Macedonia because there were things that God wanted to accomplish in and through them along the way. There there were churches that needed to be strengthened. There were believers who needed to be built up in the faith. And as they walked, God directed their steps. After all, this is promised to us in Psalm 37, 23. The steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his ways. Do you want God to order your steps? How many of you would say, I want God to order my steps? I want my steps to be ordered by him. Well, then here's what you need to do. You need to start taking those steps. Because it's always easier to direct an object in motion. For those of you who drove in the days before power steering, anyone want to admit that? I I salute you, okay? For those of you that learned to drive on a stick shift car with no backup camera and no power steering, I give it up, man, right? Because if you've ever tried to parallel park a car with no power steering, you know what I mean, right? You understand why that steering wheel is so big. You need leverage, right, to crank on that thing. But here's what you find when you're driving a car with no power steering. It's easier to direct a car in motion. It's easier when you're moving to turn the wheel. And can I just say, it's much easier for the Holy Spirit to direct a life that's in motion. It's much easier for the Holy Spirit to direct a life that's already responding to the general direction of God. So many people want specific direction from God, but they have yet to respond to his general direction. And don't get me wrong today, there are times when we know very clearly what the Lord is calling us to do, that this is the way. There are those times when we have absolutely no doubt 
regarding the will of God in a particular situation, but there are also times when we wait on him for guidance, but that waiting is not a passive waiting, amen? We we push into what we know he's calling us to do, And, and there are those times when after seeking the Lord, and we don't have a clear yes, and we don't have a clear no, we begin walking within the bounds of his general will, because if we don't move on what we do know, Here's what I'm afraid of. Many of us will reach the end of our life with little or nothing to offer God because we were waiting. We were waiting for that writing in the sky. We were waiting for the fireworks, right? But I want you to know, in our walk with the Lord, we need to learn it's not always in in the strong wind or the earthquake or, or the fire, but more times than not, the will of God is communicated to us by that still small voice. And we say, yeah, I believe that you speak, and I'm gonna start moving. But let me say something about this, this circuitous route that God's will sometimes takes us on. In Romans chapter one, we read Paul's introduction uh, to his letter to the Christians living in Rome. In verse nine, he says this, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Now the question is, did Paul succeed in coming to Rome? Yes, he did. He, he got there, okay? But along the way, he had been imprisoned in Jerusalem. He was threatened by death. He was shipwrecked off an island. He was bitten by a venomous snake, and then he's brought to Rome as a prisoner of the state. Could this be considered a successful journey? We might say, no, that was a, that was a train wreck, man. All the, you don't even know what took place. But Paul said, yeah, I'm just living in the will of God. And his will sometimes takes us in in a circuitous in nature, right? It's important you understand this. Hear me today. Never try to evaluate your position in the will of God by the circumstances that surround you. Never try to evaluate your position in the will of God by the circumstances that surround you. If Paul had done that, there's so many times in his life he would have been like, man, I'm out of the will of God. Like, look what's going on, right? But you need to realize today, again, the will of God is sometimes not easily discerned. And so what is the key? If I could give you one key to, to living in the will of God, it's just one simple key. It's not many keys on a key ring, one key. Write this down. I, I believe the key to being in the will of God is this. Are you ready? The key to being in the will of God is wanting to be in his will. You were expecting something so much deeper, weren't you? The key to being in his will is wanting to be in his will. Listen, I believe from the depths of my heart that if you want to be in God's will, you will be in God's will. And you might be there today, again, and and you're not even aware of it, but God has a way of keeping the desirous in his will. My wife and I used to youth pastor in San Francisco for a time, and I always remember the teens that we pastored there and poured our lives into. So often they would be, be struggling with the thought that they, they might somehow miss the will of God for their lives. Like, what if I, I make a wrong decision and I, and I just completely miss what God has for me? Like, it was so elusive and it's so hard to determine. And I remember telling them, and it's true for each of us as well today, even more than you desire to know God's will, he desires to reveal it to you. Even more than you desire to know God's will, he desires to reveal it to you. Don't believe me? I have scripture to back it up. Psalm 37, 4, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Through all my years of ministry, I have never seen someone who genuinely desires being in God's will ever get too far away from it. 
God doesn't hold out before us this possibility of being in his will and then kind of pull it back every time we reach for it, right? At the same time, I have to say, I've not seen someone in the center of God's will who is not desirous of being in that place, right? We don't just simply slide into the will of God. Being in his will, it requires desire. Jeremiah 29, 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so there in verse 9, we see Paul gets this vision. Again, he's in Troas. It says, and a vision appeared to Paul at night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he had seen the vision, we're told this, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, you read those verses, it's almost hard not to laugh, right? We're told, we tried to go this direction, we couldn't go there. We tried to go this direction, we, we couldn't go there, right? But now I got a vision from heaven that says, come over here, and I wake up and say, you know what, I conclude that that's what the Lord wants. And you're like, well, of course, duh, right? So we conclude, I just like the way it's worded, we concluded that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now look at verse 10. What stands out to you? There's a change there. Do you see it? What what word stands out to you in verse 10? Anyone? Two letters. We. Right? All of a sudden, this is written a little different. It's the word we. After he'd seen the vision, immediately we, that's the first use of that term from the author's perspective in the book of Acts. And so who's joining them now? The writer of Acts is Luke, right? Luke's a part of the team now. He's joining them to preach the gospel. Now, we see another reason here, though, on this side of it, why they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia Minor. We, We see another reason why the Holy Spirit didn't permit them to go to Bithynia. God wanted Paul and his team to go to Troas and to pick up a doctor by the name of Luke. Understand, because God said no to Paul those two times. We have the Gospel of Luke. We have the book of Acts written by the doctor Luke, right? At the time, Paul probably had no idea of of God's great purpose in all of this. God wanted to give him a continent for Jesus. Now they're going into Europe. Understand, because the gospel goes there, we've received the gospel, right? America received the gospel, right? Because Because God said, no, no, I want you here. He's going to give him a personal doctor, right? He's going to give him, uh, all of us, really, the man who God would use to write more of the New Testament than anyone else. You may think it was Paul that wrote more of the New Testament, but actually, word-wise, Luke wrote the most words. He's very detailed, right? Understand, God knows what he's doing when he says no. Let me say that again. God knows what he's doing when he says no. Now, who was the man from Macedonia, right? That's what I want to know. Who's this man from Macedonia that Paul saw in this vision? Anybody know? It's, it's kind of a, a trick question. There, there's really no answer. I don't know. The answer is we don't know who he is. He's just a man from Macedonia. And I asked the question, well, how did Paul even know he was from Macedonia, right? Was he wearing an I love Macedonia shirt? I don't know, right? I don't know how, but Paul recognized where he was from. And so verse 11, so setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and the following day to Neapolis. Now, Neapolis is, is the port city there in Macedonia. Now, that means it only took them two days to get there, which means the winds are at their backs, the winds are favorable, it's good sailing weather. Now, 
I bring that up because later on, when Paul takes his journey by boat, the prison boat sails from Caesarea to Rome in Acts 27, it's going to take five days to get to that place because the winds are against them. Isn't it funny how in life sometimes you go somewhere and the winds are at your back and it just seems easy, right? And so you go, oh man, isn't God good? I, I must be right in the will, the will of the Lord for my life, right? Well, was Paul any less in the will of God when he was on his way to Rome later on? No. And yet the winds were against him. And yet he was shipwrecked. But sometimes the winds are at your back and sometimes they're not. And you can't always think just because it's an easy road that it's the Lord's will. But on this journey, the winds are at their back and they get there and from there they go to Philippi, which is a, a leading city of the district of Macedonia. It's a Roman colony. It was, it was a Roman colony that, that prided itself on looking a lot like Rome. It was, you, whatever you got in Rome, you could get there. In a way, it was kind of like Rome away from Rome, right? And so everything you would see in Rome, you could get there in Philippi. And, and it says this, we remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. Now, what was Paul's plan whenever he went into a new city? Anyone remember? Where would he go first? He would go to the temple, to the synagogue, right? He would go to the synagogue. Well, he doesn't here, right? Because it appears there's no synagogue in Philippi. Why? Because according to Jewish law, if you had 10 Jewish males in a city, you would establish a synagogue, a meeting place, a, a gathering place for the reading of the law, right? For fellowship. You, you would have an actual place called a synagogue. However, according to Jewish law, if you had less than 10 Jewish men, you didn't build a synagogue. And so this lets us know that there are less than 10 Jewish men in the city of Philippi. You want to talk about reaching the Gentiles? This is Gentile territory. But at the same time, there are some Jewish women who gather at the riverside. Now, why if they, they couldn't find a synagogue would they go down to the riverside? Well, this is where it gets interesting. You see, part of Jewish worship is to be cleansed ceremonially from your, your sin, right? In a, in a little bath called a mikvah. A mikvah is, is a lot like baptism to us. You go in, you, you soak in it, you, you get out, you say your prayers, you're cleansed. But the law of the mikvah, the little baptism, is that the water had to be flowing in and out. You couldn't have stale, stagnant water. It had to be living water. You hear that? It had to be living water. It had to, to be moving water. And so if you couldn't have a synagogue because there's fewer than 10 Jewish males, you would meet down by the riverside because the, the river was living water. It was moving water. So Paul shows up there in Philippi, and part of me wonders just how disappointed he is. I mean, he, he saw a man of Macedonia saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. He responds to the vision to go to Macedonia, thinking, man, God's certainly in this. They go to Macedonia, and they don't even see a man at all. They see a few women down at the riverside, and Paul must have been thinking, man, this is not what I thought was going to happen once I got to Macedonia. I thought I'd like meet that man that I saw in the vision, right? But understand, God's leading Paul every step of the way. Again, the steps of a righteous man are ordered by the Lord. God's directing his steps even when it's not what he expected. Understand, God doesn't only guide one way. I think he's got a variety of ways up his sleeve. Sometimes he directs or guides our lives by closed doors. Sometimes it's by open doors. Sometimes it's by a, a direct revelation or a vision. Sometimes it's just peace in our hearts, right? Sometimes he directs by disease. 
Sometimes he directs by prosperity. So many ways God guards and guides your life. And here's what I know to be true. Following God is the greatest adventure possible. It just is. Like, if you want a boring, predictable life, you should go look somewhere else, right? You can find boring and predictable just about anywhere, right? But when you choose to follow God, you never know what's in store for you. And, and I, I can assure you of this, that if your life is submitted to the Lord and you're saying, God, would you lead me day by day by day, it's going to be quite an adventure. God has all kinds of ways of directing his children as he did Paul. The Bible says this, commit your way to the Lord and he will do it. Some of you, I just got to say, please, just, just let him do it. <laughs> commit your way to the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord and then sit back and enjoy the ride because I, I believe that this journey with the Lord, it ought to be an adventure because where's the ride taking you eventually? Where are you gonna end up when it's all done? We're ending up in heaven, right? And so if, you're, if your destination is secure, why not enjoy the ride? Well, there may be bumps on the road. You, you may, like Paul at times, say, this is not what I expected, but you can enjoy it. And you can see the joy of the Lord because you know where he's going to take you next. And so Paul hears no and no. Then he gets this vision and he goes to Macedonia to find this man. But when he gets there, there's no man. He sees women at a riverside. And he's like, what's up with that, right? What's God up to? Well, I'll tell you what he's up to. This is a little bit of a spoiler for where we're going next week. He's about to go to prison. He's about to be beaten. How's that for following the will of God, Right? And before you say that can't be the will of God for Paul, right? I want to say, if you could ask Paul right now, hey, Paul, was it worth it? Like, was it really worth it to get beaten up and thrown in that Philippian jail? Like, are you upset with God for what he allowed to happen in your life? I think Paul would look back and say, are you crazy? Because God used that situation, that circumstance to save a jailer and his family and to establish a church. And so if that's what he had to do, let him do it, Right? If that's what it takes to be in the will of God, I'm fine with that. Verse 14, it says, one who heard us, again, this is Luke as part of the team now. It says, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart, look at that. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul and after she was baptized. So evidently the Holy Spirit opens her heart to hear and she responds. She's baptized and her household was as well. And she urged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So what do we know about this woman, Lydia? Well, we know that she was quite the businesswoman, okay? She was from Asia Minor where Paul had wanted to go. That's where Thyatira is. She moved from Thyatira and she set up shop in Philippi. Why? Because Thyatira was known historically for a product that would allow them to get a purple dye. There was a purple dye that came out of that area that was very rare. And so purple cloth came from Thyatira, right? Purple cloth was very, very expensive. Only the wealthy could afford it. It was like the Armani of the day. That's, that's a purple cloth, right? It was the color of royalty, and, and usually only kings and people of royal state, stature had it. And so Lydia probably made a very good living. She was moving from the place where she had a direct line to the manufacturer, and she says, I'm going to sell this over here in Eastern Europe, right? And so she's a smart businesswoman, right? But it says there the Lord opened her heart. And, and so she becomes a believer, and she gets baptized. 
How fitting that they're right by the riverside. It's almost like God set it up that way, right? And so no, no mikvah. This is a little bit different. This is a cleansing of for all time, right? And so she's this very successful businesswoman. And I, I say that because just the way she talks to Paul and the team, she says, if you've counted me faithful, then you'll stay at my home and let me keep you up there and give you what you need. Perfect sales pitch, right? If, if, if you're saying I'm faithful, then you've got to stay with me, right? If you've counted me faithful, I'm going to take care of you guys. In other words, if you don't let me put you up in my house, you haven't counted me faithful, right? And here's the thing. Lydia probably has a very nice home, very sizable home. In verse 40, the Christians uh, of the church in Philippi, where are they meeting? They're meeting at Lydia's home. So you got a nice house, right? But think of it this way. The Lord opened her heart. She became a Christian. She opened her home, and it became a church. How beautiful the way God ties all this together. But as we close, there are some things in this passage, again, that I want you to, to see very clearly regarding the will of God and the will of God for your life. First one is this, that God does have a will. I believe it, a plan for every person in this church this morning. Make no mistake about it. He has a specific plan for your life. And hear me, no matter what else you accomplish in life, you will never be considered successful in God's eyes until you walk in his will. But also understand this, that sometimes that will is not clearly discernible. And in those cases, we must seek God and then operate under the guidance of his general direction, that direction that we see clearly in Scripture. As we set out, we say, God, I'll only go as far as you lead. I'm not going to go any further. I, I believe you've set before me doors. There are some doors in my life that are open doors. There are, are others that are shut. I'm going to walk through the open doors, and I'm going to stop at the closed doors. But hear me, if we are desirous of being in God's will, we will be. We will be. The key is desire. We must be, though, serious about being in the will of God. We must take seriously the model prayer that Christ gave where he said, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. And each of us, if we want to live in the will of God, we need to settle for nothing less than the will of God. Would you stand with me this morning? this afternoon as we prepare to close. You see, I believe for us to be truly successful in life, we need to know what our master is calling us to do. We need to be in the center of God's will. And that's a beautiful place, can I just tell you? It's a beautiful place to be in the will of God because it's a place of security. It's a place of blessing. Someone once said, God's will will never take you where his grace cannot keep you. God's will will never take you where his grace cannot keep you. The best place on earth that you could be is squarely in the will of God. And if you're serious about this today, if you're serious, say, man, I wanna, I wanna know what God calls me to do. I want the steps that I take to be ordered by God. I want the Holy Spirit to lead me and to, and to guide me. One of my favorite verses says that man makes his plan, but the Lord directs steps. In other words, I, I begin to walk, and it's almost like the Holy Spirit decides where that foot lands, right? When I'm submitted to his will and his purpose in my life. Hear me again today. The best place on earth to be is squarely in the will of God. And if you're serious about this today, we're going to pray. Again, I believe that, that if that's your desire, God wants to honor that desire. I believe even more than you desire to know God's will for your life, he desires to reveal it to you. And so with heads bowed around this room, I want you to pray. 
I want you to take a moment just to pray. And you don't have to repeat these words, but something like this, just simply acknowledging and saying, God, I know you have a will, a plan for my life. Lord, it's, it's my desire to, to see that will accomplished. God, I know you have a plan. I know you have a purpose. It's, it's my desire to see that plan accomplished. And then simply ask this, Holy Spirit, would you lead me? Holy Spirit, would you lead me? You see, for Paul and Silas, they thought they knew where they were going. But the Holy Spirit was good enough to say no <laughs> and no. And I can't help but think that maybe some of you have experienced some no's in your life. And you stop listening to the Holy Spirit. You had your plan. You had your purpose. Holy Spirit said no. And you said, all right, I'm out then. But his no is just as important as his go. Where he said no, just as important. But would you take a moment today and just say, God, I know you have a plan, a purpose for my life. Forgive me for even turning away from hearing your voice. And ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Before we sing, before we close with the song, you do business with the Lord. Ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. Ask the Holy Spirit to direct you, to lead you.